Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. Hezekiah's reformation that he brought to Israel. The text is Second Chronicles chapter 29 and chapter 30. And I exhorted you to read those two chapters before today, and I trust that you have. Amen? And uh, you're at least familiar with the contents of it. The, uh, Hezekiah came to the king, came to the throne, rather, as king. And the Bible says he, he walked in the footsteps of David, his father. Having a role model in David, he crafts his kingship and life after an accurate Davidic order. He realizes the nation had gone far away from the Lord. Hezekiah comes to the throne, and the Bible says he starts to open the doors of the temple, and he repaired the doors, and he gives people access into a domain that was lost for many, many years. Okay, And um, he instructs the Levitical priesthood. He calls them back to their stations, reinstates them, they take up their responsibilities that they had once forsaken for generations, for years and years. He reinstates them, and the commandment is, take all the filth from out of the house. Now, what is the house? Who is the house? We are the house of God, not so? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So, in this time of consecration, the import of the Lord comes to us as a family. God is saying to the house, Take all the filth from out of your house. Take the filth from out of your mind, out of your ambition, out of your thinking. Um, take every semblance of unrighteousness away from your being. Take every bit of compromise. If you're compromising standards, if you know what is true, but you dilute it simply to make it applicable to you, then that is not kosher. God says, take the filth from out of the house. This is akin to the original Passover where God said to Israel before they left Egypt on that night before. When they celebrated the Passover, God said to them, no leaven must be in the house. Remember? No leaven must be in your, in your environs. Leaven is an, indica- an indication of, of worldliness and sin. Okay? And so I want to encourage us. God is seeming to be stressing this point virtually every week with us. And I don't know why. I know from my past experience in ministry that whenever God stresses a point, the matter has not been sufficiently dealt with in the congregation. Right? And um, that concerns me because there's much I can teach and go on to. But I I don't want to cover things in breadth and not covered in depth in, in, in the lives of the individuals and go through a year and saying, we taught X, Y, and Z but yet in lifestyle, we're not embodying the things that we have communicated. And it seems that God is talking about personal purity again and again and again. It came through in the reading. You know, I never saw that um, like it was set out for us this morning, Ezekiel 44, how that if 
through perpetual rebellion and perpetual disobedience, you persist in that matter. God in His mercy will still be gracious to you, but in your reinstatement, you're reinstated to the fringes, to the outskirts of His purposes. You see, there is a cost to pay to be pivotal to God's purposes. God will not compromise His standards. And if we are going to be of the order of Zadok, everyone say Zadok, right? A class of priests. Zadok was the father with sons under the Aaronic priesthood. And this caliber of priesthood, the Bible says, you know, I love the phrasing. It says, when Israel goes astray, you kept my charge. It's like, don't, don't just flow with the sway of the group, with the sway of of, of friends or the sway of the general populace. Maintain your course. Keep my charge. And he says, you will, those of you who do that, those will find new intimacy with me. You come near to my table, you keep my charge, and you minister, you minister unto me. Amen. I want to pick up just on a, a, a particular focus, which I really want to focus on today. Uh, there's so much we can speak about. Yet, I want to just hone in on one particular import of the Lord that I feel is very necessary. It's in 11, it's in verse 10 of Second Chronicles chapter 29. It says the following, It is in my heart, Hezekiah said, It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Last week, I encouraged you to re-covenant with the Lord. Remember? Reconsecrate, right? Uh, Hezekiah looks at the state of affairs, and his heart is: most kings before me, in my immediate my immediate predecessors, were wicked. One king after the next, including my own father. Um, I have to start to craft a new um, model, a new template for the future. So I can't find role model in any of them. So I will take David as my pattern. As she calls David his father, he begins to walk in the steps of his father. Right? And the Bible um, um, he says concerning him in verse 10, It is in my heart, he says, to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel. Part of this covenant in verse 11 would be to, to reprimand the functioning priesthood. And he calls them in verse 11, he says, My Sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before Him, to minister to Him, and to be His ministers, and to burn incense. Now, the phrase, like I said last week, grabbed my heart, and it's really applicable to my own heart, and I have to do in my own life some personal adjustment to be obedient to this demand of the Lord. The word comes to all of us this morning. My sons. Notice what Hezekiah adopts. He, he moves out of kingship. right, And he moves into fathering. Because he dresses the Levitical priesthood as my, my sons. So he's not speaking as an autocrat. He's not speaking as a king with, with autocratic, un, unrivaled authority. He's speaking from a fatherly concern for the priesthood. And he says, my my sons, do not be negligent. Like as was read this morning, them, in this context too, 
the Levitical priesthood had forsaken their duties, had forsaken their responsibilities. Temple service declined. Order of, of worship in the entire temple was a non-existent reality. Hezekiah's heart is, I need to reinstate a functional priesthood. Firstly, I will turn to the Lord God, my God, and I will covenant with Him, contract with Him, make an agreement, make a pledge, make a firm commitment to Him in my heart. I will make this to the Lord. And then he calls the priesthood and says, Now, my sons, you do not be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before Him, notice, to minister to Him, and to be his ministers. What is the priority? To, min- to be his ministers or to minister to him? In the order of things here, yeah, it's first to minister to him and then to be his ministers. And it's, it's growing in my heart more and more how that we need to raise the effectiveness of our ministry for God. The things we do for him must go to the next level. I really believe with all of my heart God wants to anoint service for him. God wants to anoint the doing of things for him. But that alone, outside of the priority of ministering unto him, will not be realized. You've got to minister unto him, then it says minister for him. Ministry for God is built on the platform of ministry unto him. For me, ministry unto the Lord speaks of one's personal, private devotional life your prayer your private prayer your private engagement with the word of god your love for god the time spent between you and the lord do you know why it is so easy to start to operate on automatic zone or mode right or by remote control we know what to do we know the phraseology we can just rise from asleep some of us and preach a sermon you know, without any real preparation because the stuff is so much in us. And we tend to lay great store by the things and the learning we've accumulated over time and without relying upon the daily persistent leading of the Holy Ghost, even in matters over which we have done thorough preparation. I want to say, now I want to impress upon the church for this year, you know what I see? I can preach on many other issues here in Second Chronicles 29. There's so much, so many powerful principles locked up in 29 and in 30. But I can't get away from this, this impress of the Lord. He's saying, and please hear my heart. This, if you want a word for today, the Lord is saying to you, my son, my daughter. And he's not speaking to you as a harsh autocrat. He's speaking to you as a loving heavenly father. He's saying you've been negligent. Hezekiah said to the priest, My sons, be not now negligent. Can we say the word now? I like the import he gives to it. He's saying, in other words, what was now? He was referencing the day in which he lived, not so. He was referencing his, the time and the the place, uh, the, the time frame, in which he was functioning. Not so? Everyone say it again now. It's like now faith is. It's like John 4.24. The time will come and now is. When? Worshippers will worship God in spirit and in 
and in truth. Not so? Tell your neighbor now. So do not be now negligent. The word now indicates not just the immediacy and the, of the moment. It also indicates the priority of the moment. Repeat priority. I, I want to encourage you, church. I'm just asking you to repeat words for their own sake. I want to impress this upon you. I sense there's an urgency coming. God's saying to us, find your closet life again. Find your closet life again. Go back to that closed door where it's just you and me and no audience. It's just you and me and nobody else to impress. Find that place, my sons, that you once prioritized. Come draw yourself. Draw away from the crowd. Draw away from the pressing demands of your personal schedule. Do not be imposed upon. Do not allow, hear the Lord, what the Lord is saying. Do not allow your pressing rigor and the timetable of life to impose itself upon your devotional priority toward me. I want to encourage you. Now, the Lord says, do not be negligent. Tell your neighbor now. You know, the word negligent in the Hebrew is the word salah. And it literally means a failure to be diligent. A failure to be diligent. God is saying, I do not want slackness anymore. Do not want slackness. Now, you might think, you've got to exercise diligence in your devotional life. I'm saying do not be lazy to pray. Do not be lazy to read your Bible. Do not, you know, laziness is like an indifference. You sit there, um, your, your legs are up, uh, you're casual, you're indifferent. And the, you know, I quoted to you the psalm, I think a few weeks ago, where David said to the Lord, when you said, seek my face, my heart said, your face, O Lord, I will, I will seek. I've been feeling this press. The Lord's saying to me, Randolph, you've become negligent. You have failure in discipline, failure in diligence. For if you want to fulfill the role and function I have for you, I'm, talking, I'm, I'm saying to you what God said to me. God is saying, I need you to exercise and to spend more time privately with me. Do you remember Peter, James, and John? were brought before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts, and serious questions were leveled at them, accusations and questions. And the Bible says, and they, they answered boldly. Everyone say boldly. You know what the Bible says in the book of Acts? It says, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they recognized that these were unlearned men. Now, how can unlearned men Speak boldly before a sophisticated tribunal. It, 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 doesn't, the, 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 it doesn't add up the equations. That these men, fishermen from down the road, no learning, are able to stand in the most sophisticated courts of law and answer questions designed to trap them. But the scripture says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they, and, then, and they recognized that these were unlearned men. They remembered that they had been with Jesus. You see, being with Jesus. Tell your neighbor, stay with Jesus. Yeah? Being with Jesus grants you an edge you cannot study or learn for. 
impartational quality comes through time investment. I can spend three years at a university and acquire learning in a degree in some specialized area. I come out as a graduate. I can even pursue postgraduate studies, become a doctor in the field, and I become a fundi, a craftsman in that area of learning. Stuff I learn for. But there's a realm of skill and expertise in this life that you cannot learn for. It's going to come by impartation, by time spent with Jesus. You know, and for us, we got all sorts of excuses today. I'm too busy. Right? I got too much on the, on the go. I want to say this. If you are too busy to spend time in prayer and Bible reading, that's just the problem. You are too busy. Do not try to factor in these things into your busy schedule. Rather schedule every other thing around this priority. You have to switch. Everyone do this. I I sense God is saying, Randolph, sometimes uh, your week, your days get crowded with too much pressing things. And sometimes you sack. You know, I had a rebuke from the Lord recently concerning this. He's saying you're sacrificing time spent with me, time you should be devoting to greater, more uh, study of the word, and time spent in personal prayer. And yes, the other things are valid that you're doing, but they're not my priority for you. Hmm? So I want to encourage you, take the priority. This goes for everybody. I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to myself. You know why? There's a great work to be done this year. If we are going to be ministers in this Passover, I think what the Lord is saying, this that we must pass over and skip, we're moving away from complacency, away from indifference, away from a lack of diligence, away from wrong set of priorities, and we're saying, God, I'm going to reorder now my life. Amen? I want to encourage all of you, reorder your life. I want to stress it again for emphasis. Don't factor in prayer and Bible reading to your program. Plan your program around your prayer and your Bible reading. If you try fit it in, it's going to become a problem. But if you adopt a different mindset and you say, God will receive the priority, right? If I must get up a half an hour earlier, like I would do, you know, if you had to get up half an hour earlier to go to your work, you'll do that because you factor that into your life. You adjust your life to accommodate that reality. I'm saying, brethren, factor in the priority of spending time with the Lord. Do not, my sons, thus says the Lord to all of us, do not be negligent. You know, everyone say neglect. Neglect is a bad thing. The word, when it's crafted in English, literally means an omission or an oversight. But it's not just an omission or an oversight. It's almost deliberate omission or deliberate oversight. Or it can also imply the, a wrong set of priorities that one has. Therefore, a particular aspect becomes neglected. Right? For example, I hope none of your husbands are neglecting your wives. I hope none of your wives are neglecting your husbands. Neglect? Here's what 
the Greek or the Hebrew scholar, Spiros Zodiatis, says about this word salah, translated in English as negligent here in this verse. He said this, it infers, salah in the Hebrew, infers a kind of evil deception that has gripped the person. When you are deceived, you think you are right, but you are very wrong. Right? An evil deception. So you do not deem important what is key to your entire life. So you will dismiss it or think I can survive and do it without it. Right? You see, when Israel goes astray, when you go astray, you drift, not so? And drifting is a slow process. Nobody knows they're drifting until after a while on sea, until you're off course and you're far removed from your intended destination. So we use terms like adrift. One's life is adrift. And I'm picking that up in the spirit here this morning. The Lord's saying, now is time for mid-course correction. Mid-course correction. Bring your life back to course. Uh, Prevent the drift. You know, I'm speaking like this now. It's still early days for 2016. Don't come to December 2016 and say, Wow, whole year I have been negligent over the priority of my personal devotional life. You know, I'm saying this. We are only going to be effective outwardly ministering for God as the quality of our ministry unto God. Do you know in Acts 13, let's quote this verse to you. Acts 13 says, Now there was at the church certain prophets and apostles, not apostles, a certain prophets and teachers, among whom were Paul, Silas, Niger, Lucius, and another gentleman, five of them. Verse 2 says, As they did what? As they ministered unto the Lord and fasted. As they ministered unto the Lord and fasted. What does the number five depict, by the way? Grace. There were five leaders at the church at Antioch. And the Bible says these five leaders were doing what? Ministering unto the Lord and fasting. There was prayer. There was devotion. There was an upward focus. It's powerful when leaders can have an upward focus. You know, in, in the past, we've only known leaders meeting to be committee-based, uh, discussion-based, business-like. But yet leaders gather And their focus is in fasting. We minister unto the Lord. Next verse, verse 3. And the Lord said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The Bible says in the next verse, When they had prayed again with fasting, they laid their hands upon them, and they, they sent them. Next verse says, Having been sent by the Holy Ghost, they went. Who sent? (laughs) First verse says they sent. Next verse says the Holy Ghost sent. Actions of men can be so right in God that when they do things, it could be said the Holy Ghost did it. Hmm? The dovetailing of human actions and God's intent. What was the environment for that to take place? Everyone say ministry unto the Lord. You see, this was, Paul was at this stage either a prophet and or a teacher. 
Because it says he wasn't called an apostle at this stage. Now there was at the church certain prophets and teachers. Watch, brethren. What was Paul's ministry at this stage? I believe more teaching. What was Barnabas' ministry? I believe more the prophet. Because what does Barnabas' name mean, by the way? Son of encouragement. And what did Paul say about prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14? All prophecy must seek to do what? Three things. Edify, exhort, and comfort. Not so? Right? 1 Corinthians 14, 3, I think, he who seeks to prophesy must edify, exhort, and comfort. Right? Barnabas' name means son of comfort, son of exhortation, son of encouragement. I believe his ministry was strongly prophetic at that stage. I believe Paul being schooled under teachers like Gamaliel was the more didactic, the more teacher in his approach. Because the Bible says now there was at the church certain prophets and teachers. And what did they do? Please, you have to follow me here. What did they do? They ministered unto the Lord. The Holy Ghost spoke, I believe, by one of the prophets and said, Saul and Barnabas, or rather in the correct order, Barnabas and Saul, the Lord separates you from us. So three of us will be left. You to go. And what is going? An apostolic sending. What does the word apostle mean? Sent one. The first time Paul is sent. This is Acts 13. It's the first of three major, what most Bible calls missionary journeys, but we call them apostolic assignments. It was the first of three such major events from which he would leave from his house church or his base church, Antioch. Right? In the end of Acts chapter 14, somewhere in the middle of Acts chapter 14, Paul makes a statement, when we, Barnabas and I, when we as the apostles. What happened? Either prophet and teach in Acts 13, but by Acts 14, an apostle, what he was born for comes to pass. There was a, a fine-tuning of his emphasis in his calling because he was an apostle from birth, he says. God separated me from my mother's womb as an apostle, he would say, in other epistles. So he was journeying towards becoming proficient in the very thing he was designed to do. Look at me. I see that he was being crafted to minister for God. To do things for God. But what was his whole ministry based and built on? Now there was at the church... And he was one of five. And what was their focus? What was their focus? You think if this was Paul's process, that it would be different for you? We think that we can get same results as Paul, yet not pay the price. We think that blessings are so automatic or axiomatic today that we don't have to put the time in. If we can enjoy the blessings of a process, that is deception. This word negligent means the person has come under evil deception. Who wants to be mightily used by God? Come on, let me see your hands. If is there anybody here, keep your hands up. Is there anybody here with a desire, God, I want to minister for you. I really want to do your work. Come on, let me see your hands, right? I'm sure all of us. But platform, the basis for that is your devotional personal life of ministry unto the Lord. 
I've, I've been in the habit of kneeling in prayer this morning. I was almost half an hour I was on my knees in my lounge, kneeling before God from three to us three, and praying. And the Lord somehow reminded me, my mind was cast back to a prayer meeting at the Assemblies of God Church in the upper room on a Saturday afternoon where it was just Christian Bantam, my good friend growing up in the Lord, and myself. And you know what? Our priority, even as young people, I remember distinctly, we went to the beach, a whole group of us. We went to the beach that day, some of the young people in the church. And we came back about 2 o'clock or so in the afternoon with the church kumbi. You know, young people never want the day to end. The thing is, so where next? What's happening, Bruce? Where are we going to? Right? I think we must have been, I must have been about 16, 17 years old. And you know what our instinctive thing is? Why don't we all go change, come back to the church, go to the upper room and spend time in prayer before the Lord? Right? Not, don't look at me weird. It might seem so out of place today. And a Christian, uh, some other, Danny Rue pitched up and some other person pitched up. And I recall I, when I prayed this morning, my mind was cast back to that prayer meeting. I, I could see myself praying by a pillar on my knees and crying, literally bawling. I was singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, that, that whole hymn, I was singing and praying, but literally weeping in prayer before the Lord. And the Lord literally reminded me, he says, remember your earliest days. Remember the kind of priority you attached to spending time with me. When, when the priority of other young people were to do other things. You see, you are Zadok priesthood. Things might be kosher for others, but not kosher for this group. Amen? I want to encourage all the young people. Come on, wave to me, young people. Right? You're growing up in the Lord. I want to encourage you. Set as a priority in your life your personal times of intense devotion before the Lord. And I literally had to repent before God. I said, God, that was such... And time, we could pray like two hours at a time, and time wasn't an issue. The important thing was just... Spending time with Him. You know, I marvel in those days we should enjoy great success in levels of anointing. And the Holy Ghost would come and fall. And I want to get the church back to that place. I want to get everybody back. I want everybody, when you come next week to church on Sunday, you're coming in having spent time with Jesus. You're coming in not dependent on a song to whip you up and to encourage you. You're coming in having positioned yourself to worship. You, you're coming in having loved God so much, prayed to Him, studied His Word. You're coming in focus. I tell you, brethren, if we get that dynamic right corporately, you know what will happen when we come together. There will be an explosion in this place. I want to remind you again for emphasis. It was Paul's process. It was Jesus' process to Himself. You know, how many times does the Scripture say, and Jesus withdrew? Let me withdraw personally, physically to show you. He withdrew, particularly at high point in ministry where something major was performed and there was the attempt of people to bring attention to him. And he withdrew to spend whole, sometimes whole nights in prayer with his, with his father. So tell you, never minister unto the Lord. I can't get away from this. I, I really want to impress this. This year must be a priority of ministry unto the Lord. Find your strength in God again. Find uh, that place of solace, solitary place, you alone with God. 
Now go to Luke, just to emphasize this. Luke. Some of us know these passages so well, <laughs> but I want to I emphasize it in closing. Luke chapter 10, from verse 38 to 42. Luke 10, 48, 38 to 42. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, twice called her name, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered. Now, two elements. You are both worried and you are bothered about so many things. But one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part that shall not be taken away from her. Jesus entered this house, a house from this point he would often frequent. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, the two sisters and the brother. Jesus was very close to this family. He was so close to them that upon Lazarus' death, the Bible says Jesus wept. Right? He loved this family dearly. In fact, when the report of Lazarus' death came to Jesus, this is how they reported it. Him whom you love is dead. So there was this family, this home, and a special place in Jesus' heart. Seems like this was one of the first occasions he enters the home. And notice there are two conflicting responses from the sisters, Martha and, and Mary. Mary, the Bible says, sat at his feet, I like what it says, and she listened to his word. Sat at his feet and he listened to his word. Sitting in this context denotes uh, intense focus to receive. It's a posture of reception in this context to receive the word of the Lord communicated to by Jesus. And I hear the Lord saying in my spirit, just sit. Stop your to and fro. Just sit. Stop the hustle and bustle. Just sit. Stop the frenetic treadmill activity. Just sit. Stop being swallowed in by the pace of life. Just sit. What is this life? If full of care, we have no time to. Come on. You know this poem from primary school. W. Wordsworth. What is this life? If full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. Stand beneath the boughs and stay as long as sheep or cows. No time to see in woods we pass where squirrels hide their nuts in grass. A poor life this, if full of care, we have no time to stand and stay. Words would capture this. He's saying life is so busy, we don't even time to, to stop to see how a squirrel hides nuts in grass. Life is, passes by too quickly, and if you read the entire poem, 
He laments the fact that we miss so much of the beauty of life because we are so busy, we don't even have time to stop, stand, and stay. And behold. I'm not saying stand and stay. I'm saying sit and hear. I must write my own poem. Some of you poets here, I command you in the name of the Lord, write your own poem like Wordsworth. Everyone say sit. Sit and hear. Some of us are too busy, and your busyness is clouding your capacity to, to hear. Please hear the word of the Lord. Now the Bible says Martha was worried and bothered by too much serving or things that needed to be done. You know the word worried is the word in the Greek, Merimano, which literally means to be anxious. What the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. This is Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, simply let your requests be made known to to the Lord. I prayed about a few things this morning, and I said, Lord, I refuse to be anxious about this or that or the other need. Your word says I must not be anxious. I must not be worried. But by prayer and supplication with the heart of thanksgiving, I must let my request be made known to you. So God, I say it now and I give my request over to you. Simultaneously, I transfer the worry and I leave it at the cross. Amen. Now, Do you know the seed, in the parable of the seed and the sower, the seed that fell amongst thorns is interpreted like this by Jesus. The seed is what? Come on, the seed is the the word. The sower is the, the preacher. Not so? Remember the seed fell on four different kinds of soil. I think by the wayside, the rock soil amongst thorns, and on the good soil. So the word, he says, the seed that falls amongst thorns, because what do thorns do? He says, briars grow up, and what do they do? Choke. Everyone do this, choke. Listen carefully. If seed is the word, there's something that can choke seed. There's something that can kill word. There's something that suffocates word. It's called weeds. And Jesus says two things that are the weeds. He said, they are the deceitful riches deceitfulness of riches, and the worries of this life. You know, I really want to encourage you. Do not worry. Anxiety has an uncanny effect of suffocating truth, of suffocating the promise of God's word. You can be the recipient of great truth. You can be in the church where the word is pronounced Uh, to great degree, with great profundity, with great clarity, with great authenticity, great anointing, it will mean very little to you if you sit there with a heart of anxiety and you're receiving the seed. Because worry by nature kills seed. Amen? If there's one thing we have to master this year is do not worry. How many of you have mountainous needs this year? Okay, my hand is up. Two hands are up, actually. Mountainous needs this year. But guess what? They are designed to afflict your heart with a condition called anxiety. 
And Jesus said, let me just say this. If Jesus said it, it has to be true that anxiety is like a weed, a thorn rather, a thorn or a thistle that chokes and kills the power of God's word in your life. Hence, Jesus would say in Matthew 6, Do not worry for your life, what you shall eat or drink, or what you shall wear. Is life not much more precious than these things? But seek ye first the, the kingdom of God and all these things, what shall eat, drink, and wear, all these things will be what? Will be added unto you. I want you to leave this building with a strong sense of faith. Right? Don't be worried about the house you need to buy, about the new car that you need. Don't let anxious unwarranted, anxious thought settle within your heart because it's going to kill the power of God's word. You know the context? If you were to dramatize the scene, knock, knock, who is it? Jesus. Oh, Mary Martha's in the house. Open the door. He sits down on the couch and he starts to declare word. Mary sits. She stops everything to prioritize his presence in their home she gives him due accord and she listens. I can just picture Martha. You know the image in the Greek? It literally means she's, it says she's both worried and bothered. It's one thing to be worried only, but to be worried and bothered. Hey, then you're in serious trouble. <laughs> you know? So it says, the word bother, listen carefully, or troubled, as the King James says, it literally means turbid. Everyone say turbid. Inwardly disturbed in mind and unsettled. Inwardly disturbed, unsettled in mind. I never want to get to that place. It almost describes the tossing of the waves of a sea, an unsettlement. Right? You're inwardly disturbed and unsettled within. It literally alludes to a confused and disordered state. Have you ever met a person that is, um, what the word? Only word I can think is haywire. Uh, it's like they got there. You can see, you can literally see their mind. It's like, ooh, you need to settle down. You need to settle down because frenetic thoughts, right? And, and you are too intense in your processing of things. Right? You need to drop a few levels. Everyone do this. Okay, just, just drop the mind. Drop a few levels, right? She was not just only busy. And please remember this. Probably she was busy making preparations for Jesus. But he made her realize that even sometimes what you do for me can be a distraction. Service for God in itself can be a distraction to one's main priority. You can get even so busy with good God things that the good thing that you're doing is a distraction to your main priority. Okay? So it's not, I'm not just saying you're busy with everything else and you're neglecting the spiritual. Even sometimes you can be engaged in the spiritual and that in and of itself could be a distraction. If you're attempting to do things for him without first prioritizing your sitting at his feet 
and ministering unto Him. You have lost priority and you have become negligent. You know, would like to be labeled negligent. None of us, eh? Neglectful. Glossing over things. Operating, functioning, but reduced effectiveness because you are too, too busy. Right? So I want to encourage all of us. This year has got to be a year of a quiet mind. No turbidity, no turbid mind. No unsettled thoughts. Amen? The way you do that is to meditate on God's word constantly. I would urge you to listen to my whole series on meditation. It's on the website. There are CDs available. There's a whole manual that we've done if you need it. We, we spent seven sessions teaching you on the discipline of meditating on God's word. What does Isaiah said? We, we discussed this then. Isaiah 30. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed focused upon me. Amen. You know, I sense disorientation of the mind here this morning. Some of you are disoriented in your thinking and you cannot think soberly and clearly about a matter. Too many things are crowded and some of those things are demonic insertions. Listen to me. Some of those thoughts are demonically implanted. John 13 verse 2 says this, And now Satan, having put into the mind of Judas to betray the Lord, where did the idea come to Judas from that I need to betray the Son of God? From who? Clearly the Bible says it is from Satan. But do you know, you must be very aware that the demonic has got the capacity to insert thoughts alien to the nature of God. Right? What you've got to recognize is, if it's a thought you know that comes to you, I mean, come now, don't be all spiritual. You can be the most holiest of environments, in the most holiest of moments, and an unsavory thought can prop up from you. Then what do I do? I disown the thought immediately. I say to myself, this mind belongs to Christ. That thought I know is not mine. It's alien to my nature. It's alien to the thoughts of God. That's a demonic insertion. So what does 2 Corinthians 10 say? The weapons of? Our warfare are not carnal, but they are what? Come on, talk to me. They are mighty through God to do what? Pull down strongholds. Where do strongholds develop? In the mind. It says bringing into captivity what? Every thought. So a thought alien to God can be inserted, but what is your responsibility? I must take that thought and bring it to, to what? To the obedience of? To the obedience of? Of Christ. Right? The, the moment you take authority over that and you say, Hey, that's not me. How dare I think that about my sister in Christ? That's not me. That is a demonic insertion in you. Don't you pray it out loud. In you say, I, I arrest that thought in the name of the Lord. I make it subject to Christ. It's not mine. I bind it in the name of the Lord. Right? You've got to do this. Do you know when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? How do they respond? Some say you, Jera, Maya, some say you, I, Zaya, some say you, one of the prophets. What did Jesus say then? 
But who do? Who do you say? Who answered, by the way? Peter. What did Peter say? You are the Christ. Peter says, you are the Christ. The son of the living God. What did, listen carefully church, I'm making a point. What did Jesus say then to Peter? Come on, you know your Bibles, yeah? Come on. He said, Peter, you could not have known that through ordinary means. You could not have gone to any university to study it. He says, flesh and blood did not inform you of that. But who? Come on, talk. But who? My Father which is in heaven. You are Peter. You are Petros, small rock, pebble in the Greek. But upon this Petra, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Then the next scripture says, And from that time forth, Jesus began to speak plainly to them how that he must die and suffer at the hands of the high priests. Not so? What then is Peter's response? Next verse. What what does Peter say? Peter said, hey, you can't die. Far be it from you to die. What is Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. Listen, the same man received Holy Ghost information from the Father, Revelation, is now making a suggestion built upon satanic insertion. Hmm? In one breath, he's, you know, let me say it like this. In one breath, the Lord is commending him. Hey, well done, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. The next few sentences down the line, he's saying, now get behind me, Satan. What is Jesus realizing? Jesus isn't really addressing Peter. He's addressing the spirit that has framed Peter's mind to suggest that he must not go to the cross. Peter said, you can't go to the cross. What did Jesus do? Jesus arrested that thought immediately. You know, I really want to encourage you. Please, church, it's time to grow up. Tell your neighbor it's time to grow up. I want to encourage you. Know the difference. To when the Holy Ghost is inserting the thought. And when an inserted thought was, is influenced your mind because it was spawned in the realm of the demonic. You've got to know the difference. Right? But let me just say this. I have discovered whenever I am too busy, my mind gets too busy. And my mind becomes fertile ground. For the acceptance of things alien to the nature of God. But when I am meditative, when I am quiet, when I sit daily like Mary do. You know what I have the chance to do? I have the chance to sift the mind. No, sieve. To, to separate God's thoughts from thoughts maybe that are unique to my humanity. Or even thoughts inserted by the realm of, of Satan himself. I want to encourage you. The venue for spiritual warfare is the mind. Where are spirituals battle, spiritual battles fought? For us humans, the place, the arena, the venue, the amphitheater is the mind of men. For as a man thinks, so is he. You can get your thinking right. You can start to do the will of God more, more powerfully. Who desires this? A clean mind. 
only available for assertions of thought by the Holy Ghost, by informed by the, by the Word of God. We're going to pray in a moment, because I believe this year is going to be a year of decision. And we can't afford to make wrong decisions. Not so? We simply can't afford to make wrong decisions. So we're going to present our minds shortly. Please, I'm, I'm posturing your hearts for this. We're going to say to the Lord, and even in the seven day remaining of the fast, we're saying to God, Lord, help us. If I'm going to embark upon a course, let it not be influence. Do you know that David took a census of Israel and he numbered his, his army? But, and God struck him with judgment. How can God strike a man with judgment simply for counting? Took a, like a census. The scripture says clearly he was inspired by Satan to count the army. Right? An action prompted by the realm alien to God. And you know what he was doing? He was now starting to rely upon his own strength. Let me see how strong I am. Yet God wanted his dependency to be on him consistently. Amen. Please, brethren, I sense such love for God for you this morning. And the Lord speaks to you, my sons, be not now. In other words, this, this time is too crucial. Now is not the time to be negligent. Now you're going to have to have your mind free and clear to receive my thought, my direction. Don't be so worried and bothered by so many things. Quiet yourself, sit at my feet and listen to my word. You know how Jesus responds to her. May or Martha, Martha, he says in the, in the King James, you are cumbered, cumbered by so many things. The word cumbered, listen carefully, literally means this, to draw away simultaneously in different directions at the same time. Say it again, to draw away simultaneously at, in different directions at the same time. It speaks to a disorientation of the, of the mind. Um, I remember now, uh, Anderson Williams described it as mental drift. You can't even concentrate on one thing. You've got too many things simultaneously beckoning for your call, beckoning for your attention. You turn here, that one wants it. You turn there, that activity wants it. And you cannot singularly at one time focus on one thing. Try it. Do you know, I don't know if you've experienced this, the moment you decide, I'm going to spend, let's say, 20 minutes in prayer every day. Guess what? You'll sit, okay, one minute, God, I'm praying. You'll be amazed. You'll start to think of 110 things that need to be done. Hmm? Hallelujah. Yes. If you are a mother, it's even worse because you've got kids, you've got the house, you've got, you've got this, you've got that to take care for. I, I really feel sorry for mothers. You've got so much going on. Hey? You need special grace to obey this message <laughs> more than anybody, you know. But I want to encourage you. The Lord's saying, don't be distracted. Focus in this season. You know, Mary, let me just finish some time. Mary, the Bible says, we've got five minutes, five to eleven. Mary said the following. She sat rather at Jesus' feet. Martha was almost anticipating that Jesus would rise up to reprimand Mary. She actually protested. 
She says, look, master, my sister has left me to do all the serving, the housework. Bid her that she come and help me. Then he said to her, Martha, Martha, troubled, bothered, cumbered by many things. And he makes this statement, one thing is needful. Repeat that after me. One thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that part. And he says this, which will never ever be taken away from her. It won't be taken away from her. And I want to encourage you. You see, uh, David too, when he wrote Psalm, I think it was 27. I read my notes somewhere. Yes, Psalm 27 verse 4. We know the Psalm so well. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. He says, to, behold, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate or inquire in his temple. Right? Was David a busy man? Yes, I mean, he was king of a major empire, not so? David wrote the psalm, and he says, use the same word that Jesus uses in Luke 10. Jesus said, one thing is needful. David said, one thing have I desired, and that I will do what? I will seek after. He says, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord, and that I might inquire, the word is there, meditate for my mind with his word, to behold his nature, his glory, and to make prayers, choir in his temple. David was a multiple, or rather multiplex, or rather complex man. He wore many hats. He was a king. He was a father. He was a husband. He was a soldier. He was a warrior. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was a statesman. He was a writer of laws and decrees. He was a writer of Proverbs too. He was a leader of the nation. Psalms call him a shepherd who led them with skillful hands. So many things on the go. Yet he says, one thing I will always prioritize. One thing have I desired. I will not allow my mind to be distracted simultaneously in various directions by the pressing demands of my roles and responsibilities in the kingdom or domestically. One thing I want to prioritize, and that is my time with the Lord. Let me ask you this. Where did Mary sit? At his feet. What do you know about feet? They give more. You, with your feet, you, you walk. So there's the idea of movement and the idea of pro progression. You know, I don't just teach because I have material to teach. I could have taught many other things here. I'm teaching as I'm feeling the impress of the Lord. The Lord is saying to all of us, you can take this as a word for your business, for your life personally, for your marriage, can take this for the life of your kids, for their destiny. I'm saying things are going to about to accelerate. There's going to be, everyone say progression. There's going to be movement. But it's going to be those and the degree to which you sit at the feet of the Lord that's going to determine momentum. Right? Remember it says how good in Romans? What does it say? 
about good? The feet of him that brings forth good news? Oh, how lovely. <laughs> Are the feet, let me quote it to you, in Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful or lovely are the what? Are the feet of those that bring good news of good things. Everyone say beautiful feet. Now I told you this before and I need to remind you. The preacher, how shall the preacher preach unless he is sent? It says. So the one who stands to preach brings good news, but he must have beautiful feet. The word beautiful in the Greek is the Greek word heroos, derived from the Greek word kairos. Right? I explained this to you, I think. I'm not sure. In the Greek, words derived from other Greek, from, from other words. Not so? Like pen, uh, pena, Right? The word um, banar is a derivative of ben. Similarly in the Greek, you can never ever have the word beautiful, which is heroios, until you first have the word kairos, which is the word for time. Everyone say time. So kairos is an opportune time. right? A time in which God has specific dealings with humanity in and, in and in which certain preordained constituted events must happen. Please, I need to hear me. It's different from chronos. Two words translated in the Greek for time. The one is chronos, from which we get the English word chronometer, which is watch, or chronology, the passing, the passing of time. Chronos. Everyone say chronos. That's the passing of actual seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months. Passing of time. Chronos. But there's another word called kairos, translated time, in the New Testament also. And that is, listen carefully, it's, it's strictly translated opportune time. Everyone say opportune time. In other words, think about it like this. This is a time frame in chronos, in actual time, and minutes are passing away. But where from God's perspective, he says, he, he, like that error becomes kairos from his perspective, where he says, in that time, in their chronos, I will impose kairos upon their chronos. Because in that chronos, opportune, opportunities, certain events and occurrences that I have predetermined for that family, for that individual, for that ministry, things have to happen at that point. So we often use, we often joke about these things. Eh? We say, you've missed your kairos. You've missed the window of time, of opportunity that God opened up to you, right? Now listen carefully. Every kairos is activated by a word. That is why it says, Mary sat at his, come on, talk to me, sat at his. Now it says, how beautiful are the feet of him that brings good news. The word beautiful there is heroios which is a der derivative from kairos. It literally means this. By the way, the strict meaning of, hero of heroos, beautiful, is abundant, uh, blessed, foliage, productivity, fruitful, productive, right? Things are blossoming. It's fruitful. 
but it literally means belonging to a particular season. So, not all preachers' feet are beautiful. Preachers who have beautiful feet, biblically, are those that bring you a word, the word which, when obeyed, catapults you into a spatial time of existence called kairos, in and which you can access certain preordained things that God has earmarked for you. That is when a preacher has beautiful feet. Because anybody can preach, but not all preachers preach relevant word. Not so? And so, words that are relevant for you in the specific time in which you are living based upon what you experience, that word comes as a rhema, relevant word, and if you listen and obey, notice, listen, she did not just do this. What does it say? She did two things. Let me sit in the chair. She, the Bible says she sat and did what? And heard or listened. Akuyo literally means she put herself under the word. Akuyo. She heard. And the Bible, the, the Greek scholar Spiros Zodia says, Hupo Akuyo, or Akuyo in this context to hear, literally means to place yourself under the hearing and to deliberately design an appropriate action. Because everybody can hear, not so? It's not just about sitting and. It's sitting and hearing, and here's the challenge as we close. Design an appropriate action. Plan an appropriate expression of obedience based upon what you have heard. Then the word you receive, I want to declare this over the house. I want to declare this over your lives as a family. The word that you receive will open up, because kairoses are governed by words, will open up in your chronos, will open up a time frame of existence called kairos, where you will certain doings of the Lord will befall you, your life, your minister, your family, your destiny. Amen? So I want to declare a new kairos open to us in the realm of the Spirit. Do you believe this? I'm saying this seriously. I'm declaring a new epoch of time. Open in the realm of the Spirit over our ministry and over your lives personally. But it's all contingent upon your not being negligent. Don't be negligent. Don't say I work too much. Don't say too few hours in the day. If you are serious enough, you will find a way. If you're determined enough, you will find the time. Amen? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage all the young people. You know when, when Daniel said to the king, I will not eat of your food. I will not drink of your wine. Daniel in Babylon. You know how old he was? He was only 12 years old when he said that. He was a young man. But he refused to contaminate himself with, with, the, with, with the dictates of, of Babylon. You know, I studied. I couldn't sleep after I prayed. So I read through, I studied the whole of Second Chronicles 35, which is Josh, Josiah's reformation. Josiah came to the throne at Hull. He was only eight years old. This guy became king, a young man, boy. The Bible says he sought the Lord his God. You're never too old to start serving God seriously. You're never too young to start serving God seriously. Amen? 
I want to encourage us all. Stay in that holy place. Stay in that time where it's just you and the, you and the Lord. Right? The secrets to prayer is praying in secret. I'll never forget that someone told me years ago. But he says, don't be like the Pharisees who pray in public so that they can be seen of men. But when you pray, he says, go into your closet. Lock your door. Pray to your father in secret. And your father who sees in secrets will reward you openly. You, no one need to know about this. But just find your place again. Amen. So church, don't be negligent this year. Amen. Don't be negligent. Hallelujah. Just stand. Just stand. The pressures of this life are designed to distract and erode our potential in Christ. But today, I want to make a corporate commitment to the Lord on all of our behalf. And we are saying to the Lord, not just as individuals only, but as a group, corporately, we will obey. I want to read to you Exodus 19 verse 8. It says this, The people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. I like this. Moses came and he gave them instructions. The people with one voice says, Everything the Lord God has spoken to us today, we will do. That night Moses went back to the Lord. And the Bible says, And he reported to the Lord the commitment of the people. Amen? Corporate commitment. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, Today we stand as a group. Like Israel went astray, we too have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turning our own way. Forgive us for the deflection. Forgive us for the distraction. Forgive us for the side road. But today we come back to the path. We come back to the ordained path that you have for us. I ask, Father, that teach us not to be neglectful and negligent this year. We start this year off with a firm commitment not to neglect our sitting at the feet of the one that you have sent to deliver the word of the Lord to us. We also will not neglect our personal time with you. Forgive us. We want to be like Peter and John, where your word says, these were men, unlearned fishermen, yet they spoke boldly. And the Sanhedrin took note that they had been with Jesus. Help us not to neglect our time with you. Father, we commit. Help us. We ask for your help. Help us not to be worried about so many needs we're going to face this year. We quieten our hearts. Some of us are beset by huge financial concerns. Others by family concerns, others by relational tension in families. So many things assail our minds so often. Father, today we quieten our hearts. We sit at your feet. I thank you for the word that you've given us today. We choose not to be worried, not to be bothered, not to be distracted simultaneously in varied directions by so many things. Help us to choose the better part that will not be taken away from us. Today we make a choice to choose the better part. 
that appointment with my friend will not be as important as my time with you. Watching that movie will not, be, will not rival your place of my devotion with you. Going to that event and this event, if it's going to subtract and distract, Father, we choose today to put you as Lord. We, as we've sung earlier on, we give you the highest place. We place you on the highest place. For you are the great high priest. Place you far above all, Father. We commit to spending time with you. And now, I want everyone just to lift up your hands just one more time. Now, Father, I, I ask that a new Kairos be opened to us. In Kronos, open up a new spatial sphere of existence for us. Where what is on your heart for certain preordained things be accomplished. From the least, from the little of us to the oldest of us, I ask let that be done in the name of the Lord. We believe that extraordinary things are about to unfold for us. We believe it, Father. We ask that these things will take place by your hand. I thank you, like Hezekiah once again, it is in our heart to covenant with you. It is in our heart to covenant with you. I pray great blessing upon the group. Great blessing upon the family here, Father. Bless your people in unprecedented manner, I pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.